Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This morning, we have Hal Kempfer on, and he's going to give us an update on what's going on between Ukraine and in Russia. Good morning, Hal. Morning, Sherry. Uh, well, it's been a busy week. Uh, of course, last weekend, the dominant news was the fact it's an amazing attack on the Kirch Bridge, which is the only bridge that links the Russian uh, sovereign territory to Crimea, was hit and seriously damaged, and that causes huge logistics problems for, uh, for Russia and able to support Crimea and, of course, also support that southern region around Kyrgyzstan Oblast. So that was the big news. And then Putin basically responded after tremendous criticism inside Russia from ultra-nationalists and this group called Mill Bloggers, uh, which is a kind of unique thing to Russia. These are pseudo-military experts, if you will, that basically blog, and they're not really restricted in what they've been saying. They have been fierce supporters of, of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but they had kind of turned against first the Ministry of Defense, then the generals, and the criticism was written, was basically getting targeted on Putin, and he had to appease them because that's his base, if you will. And so he launched this massive missile attack, cruise missile attack, Monday, followed up with more missiles on Tuesday. But those of us out there doing this thing called math kept looking at this saying, he can't support that. He doesn't have that many missiles. Not surprisingly, the missiles quit coming in and frosty over time, and then suddenly later in the week he turns around and says, you know, I've decided that I'm not going to do these missile strikes anymore, which most of us thought was, yeah, that makes sense. Because, because you, you ran out of missiles. missiles shoot. Yeah, but... Uh, but he tried to make it into some sort of publicity thing. But uh, but what's really interesting is uh, a couple of things. Number one is the Russians have been doing a number of attacks that the Ukrainians have been pushing back very successfully. But one of the key things is the Russians are evacuating uh, civilians and, and presumably some others, but civilians out of Kirshan Oblast. And you wouldn't be doing that unless you anticipated that, that your lines were going to collapse or there was going to be a sudden pushback. In other words, that the Ukrainians are going to make sudden rapid advances across Kirshan Oblast. So obviously the Russians have assessed this. Of course, one thing is that area is supported by one railway link. They have one railway line. That's all the logistics support they have. And the Russians know that the Ukrainians could probably take that out with, with uh you know, whenever they choose to, at which point the logistics for that area would be cut off and their and their lines wouldn't survive very much longer because they'd run out of supplies. Wasn't it Patton really, who said advance to the rear? Uh, that's pretty, yeah, that's kind of how it's looking. That's actually a, a good way to describe it. Um, yeah, they 
the Russians, uh, they're just having a tough time. And, oh, by the way, these uh, these mobilized reservists, as they call them, which in many cases they didn't even know they ever served the military. They just got pulled off the streets and thrown in there. <laughs> they, in some cases, they literally threw these people in uniform. Their training consisted shooting of three rounds out of a weapon. That was it. Three oh, rounds, wow. which is basically, yeah, to basically figure out which way to pull the trigger as near as I can figure and they put them right in the front lines. And, and of course, now they're getting captured, dying. And this is causing serious political repercussions for uh, Putin in Moscow. Wow. Well, Putin needs to go. We've been saying that for months. But oh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully the Ukrainian people will stay strong, do what they need to do, and take their country back. That's true. And, but of course, the fear is, and now people are looking at this a lot more closely, is uh, what what comes after Putin if he's taken out? Could it be someone worse? And there are some of those that are you know, around him who have said things that are even more disturbing than what Putin has said. The other concern is, as his conventional force is being uh, literally destroyed, if he has no conventional force, the only thing left, which is what it's getting darn close to, is his, dare I say, unconventional force, which brings up the question of potential use of tactical nuclear weapons. And that's that's got a lot of uh, people concerned, and you're seeing a lot of discussion about trying to avoid panic in the West if he uses a tactical nuclear weapon. It doesn't gain him anything on the battlefield. Um, it would just be kind of like the missile strikes Monday, uh, a fit of peak, and... But, it, but tactically, operationally, doesn't do anything for them. Going out with the flare. Pretty much. That's a big flare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you updating us and keeping us on our, on our toes. Tell me what I'm supposed to start worrying, okay? Okay. Okay, I'll pass that along. <laughs> okay. You enjoy your right. weekend, okay? Okay, you too. You too, Sherry. Take Thanks. care. All right. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to make a couple of announcements. Uh, there's going to be a social media safety training with presenters from TPD, Jennifer Crawford and Detective Frank Hansen. This training will be held on Tuesday, October 18th from 11 a.m. to 12.15, and it's a Zoom meeting, so you can stay home and watch it. Go to lawmatters1030.org website, and on the events page, there's all the information you need. And don't forget that tomorrow is the concert in Oro Valley, Rockin' for Heroes. And it's going to be from noon till 6 at 23 West Cali, Concordia. And we hope to see everybody there. And after almost three years of COVID and construction and not having a Veterans Day Parade this year, we're having one. If you go to Tucson Veterans Day Parade website, just Google that. All the information will come up. The map where it's supposed to be the whole enchilada. It's all there. And, of course, Veterans Day is the 11th of November, for those that don't know. Okay, in the studio, we have ASCOP's attorney, Steve Serbalik. Did I say it right? You did. Oh, God, I get a gold star. (laughs) Great. Um, Tell us a little bit about you before we get into all these questions. I have a million questions for you. Sure. Well, Sherry, thanks for having me on. I'm an attorney and my practice is almost exclusively representing police officers. 
So I've been practicing for quite some time. I started off at a big firm in Phoenix, defending the officers and the city after basically officer-involved shootings or in-custody deaths when the city would get sued. And now I actually technically switch sides, but I still work for the police officers. So I do everything from scene representation for critical incidents to representing officers internally if they're facing discipline to representing them before AZ Post, which is the state certification group. And then I've also represented officers' constitutional rights in federal court. So I've had cases at the federal district court in Arizona and then at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals as well. So my practice is focused on making sure that we're protecting the rights of police officers all across the state of Arizona. I've represented people from Oro Valley, actually. I have a current case there. And I just came back from an officer-involved shooting, critical incident up in Yavapai County. And then I do a lot of work in the Phoenix area as well, specifically with the Phoenix Police Sergeants and Lieutenants Association, Scottsdale Police Department, and a number of other organizations. Tell everybody what ASCOPS stands for. ASCOPS is the Arizona Conference of Police and Sheriffs. So it is a statewide organization that any officer can join and we offer legal representation basically through employee groups. So, for example, I mentioned the Phoenix Police Sergeants and Lieutenants Association. That's PPSLA. They're affiliated with ASCOPS. And then ASCOPS provides representation through panel attorneys like me. And I'm not the only one. There's over a dozen attorneys that do either what I do or some of them specialize in workers' comp or other types of representation. But basically... ASCOP's entire purpose is to represent the interests of law enforcement, both from providing legal and then also doing lobbying and providing for support to make sure that the legislature is representing the best interests of police officers across the state. You said panel. What do you mean panel? You have more than one attorney and they have to answer questions. When I think panel, I think, oh, somebody's in trouble. They're going before the panel. <laughs> panel just means that there's more than one attorney that's available. So if I'm vacationing in Tahiti with my family, there's somebody else that can be called as well. So so you haven't had any clients just want to go meet you in Tahiti? <laughs> It'd be a <laughs> tough response time to get to a critical incident if I'm, if I'm out in Tahiti. So panel just means that ASCOPS has a number of lawyers that are available to help out depending on what the situation is. Okay. Let's talk about once an officer, any officer, any agency is hired, are they all hired under a certain contract or are the contracts different from agency to agency? It's very different from agency to agency. So Arizona is what's known as an at-will employment state, which means generally speaking, your employer can change your terms and conditions of employment if they want to. Now, that said... It, there are certain agencies that have what's called an MOU, which is a Memorandum of Understanding, and a lot of the bigger agencies have learned that it's best, before we just impose some type of employment condition, it's best for us to probably talk to the officers and the officers' representatives to say, how can we best run the police department? So, for example, here in Tucson or in Phoenix, they have MOUs with their labor organizations that represent the police officers, and they do things like say, hey, how are we going to do our shifts? How are we going to expect people to work overtime? How are we going to deal with short days, short turnarounds, things like that? It's something that's actually negotiated between the labor management of the department and then ultimately approved by the city council. So if an officer is hired by an agency that has an MOU, 
that's considered a contract that's enforceable in court because it's been approved by city council. It lasts for a certain term, and then they talk about it. Every couple of years, every three years, the MOU is basically up for renegotiation. Okay, what if, because uh, I moved here, I think it was in the early 90s, and I lived down the street from some law enforcement, and the conversation, and I, I was a little shocked by it, the conversation was, we were hired under this contract, but they're not living up to the contract that we were hired under. What what does a police officer do in that situation? How do they how do they get help? Call ass cops. Call <laughs> no, ass cops. It's the uh, it's the favorite lawyer answer, unfortunately, which is it depends. So the facts and circumstances of each case really depend. So if there is a formal contract, which when you say contract and you're talking to an attorney, that means something very specific. And if there is actually a signed contract that meets the requirements under the law, then that's something that if you're part of a labor group like ASCOPs, that's something that we work to make sure that the organizations are following the terms and conditions of that agreement. Now, unfortunately, if it's not a legal contract, and again, it's not the rules that I make. This is the stuff that's been interpreted by courts for it will be it will be interpreted <laughs> forever going forward. If it's something that's legally enforceable, then it's something that we can do. If it was just something that a recruiter told somebody, they may or may not be able to. So it has to be in writing. Should be in writing. Should be in writing. And that's the thing is, is if if you're looking at an agency and you want to see what your terms and conditions of your employment are, you really do want to look in writing. You don't want to go just based off of what somebody's telling you, what what sales pitch they might have. Yeah, you said recruiter made me think of the military. Come on, join us. See the right, world. Right. They didn't tell you all the nasty stuff that goes on. Read the fine print, right? <laughs> That's good advice print. for everybody. <laughs> no doubt. So let's say you have an agency that's not living up to this contract. How does one go about uh, fixing that <laughs> or getting them to live up to that contract without getting in trouble, getting fired, being, you know, life made miserable, you're on the night shift or in a bad district permanently. Right. How does this go? How do you fix that? Well, what we do is we try to encourage people not to be David going up against Goliath, right? Your example is exactly right. You don't want to be the little guy going up against the machine. But the best part is that in state law, one of the protections that exists is a protection that exists for law enforcement groups, labor groups that are basically petitioning either management of their department or even elected officials, and it protects them from retaliation. So what we encourage people to do is join organizations that can then work together and help you out with what your specific circumstance is at your local agency. So, for example, if you're an Oro Valley police officer and you don't want to be the one that's bucking management, you can talk to the local organization to say, hey, this is what my circumstance is. And then that local organization is part of ASCOPS, as an example. And then we can help provide advice. And you have the protection at that point because you're not just one guy going up against management. You're working through the labor organizations. You can consult with attorneys. ASCOPS provides that to our local groups. And then we can make sure that your interests are protected and that you're then safe from retaliation because you're doing it through that basically established process where your labor group you're is the representing buffer. your interest. Exactly. You're the buffer. And then you have every one of our local groups has a leader. They call him a president most of the time. So they'll be like a local president for the group. And then that person would be regularly meeting with the chief or the sheriff, whatever the case might be. 
to say, are we looking out for the little guy? Do we have the right support? Do they have access to the advice that they need to be successful going forward? How many organizations are there? You just named a few that I I was unfamiliar with. I know there's the FOP. There are there's the FOP, there's, there's the APA, and then ASCOPs are the three biggest ones in Arizona. Okay, and ASCOPs differs in what respect to the other ones. So ASCOPs differs in the sense that it's actually fully run by sworn law enforcement officers in Arizona, which is wonderful. So some of the other groups, basically their legal plan is run by their law firm that they hire. And ASCOPs doesn't do it that way. ASCOPs says, look, we're going to have a finance committee that's made up of sworn officers that's deciding who the best attorneys are to be able to deal with the situation. It's not just one firm. It's not just one person. It's, hey, who does a really good job to represent our members? And those are the ones that we're going to move forward with on cases going forward. Similarly, that also makes sure that if there's a case, if there's an important case. So I just argued and was successful in the Ninth Circuit protecting the First Amendment rights of police officers on social media. I know you talked about social media training. Uh-huh. And that was something that the Finance Committee of ASCOP said, man, you know, we want our, our officers to be able to participate in that public debate on social media. And this is a really important case, and we want to make sure that their rights are protected, and we're going to authorize that case going forward. So that's what ASCOPs does, and that's how they're different, where it's the sworn personnel from across the state making those decisions as to what's the best legal move, and it's not just a law firm that runs their legal plan trying to save as much money as they can. So you're saying that you have attorneys from various law firms, they have to be the best in their field. Correct. If I wasn't good at my job, I wouldn't be getting any more cases. You wouldn't be sitting here. Well, and thank you. (laughs) So, okay. How do you, how do somebody, they have to be a member first before they can come to you and say, I've got a problem. They do. So I get those calls, unfortunately, quite a bit. And I use the analogy of State Farm. If you call up State Farm and said, hey, my house burnt down, I want you to pay for it. <laughs> and they go, did you have insurance? And you say, no, but I want I want you to cover me now. That's that's the really, those are the heartbreaking phone calls. Yeah. So if you want to join, what we do is you can go to our website, which is www.ascops.org. Or you can call the phone number for the office. It's 888-622-2215. And you say, look, I'd really like to have good representation in case something happens. And the CYA. CYA, but the most the most common one is those critical incidents. Yeah. So if you're involved in an officer involved shooting or if there's an in custody death, you really want to make sure that you have the best legal representation possible. Because who knows what's going to be out on YouTube, what's going to make the news, what kind of criticism you're going to get. So I highly encourage everyone to make sure that they are covered. How do you approach, and I don't know if you've done this or not, um, it seems like some of our uh, city officials don't support law enforcement, our local law enforcement. And if something happens, they're the first ones on air, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't even know what this incident's about. Why are you giving a statement? How do you deal with something like that? So when it comes to media, no officer wants to be the subject of a media story. And one of the things that we provide for our coverage is we'll actually step in. We'll be that buffer between the officer and the media. And when it comes to public officials interfering with investigations, that's something that we've addressed either informally or formally. We've made public statements or I actually filed a lawsuit against a Phoenix City Council member who was interfering with an investigation 
and we were able to try to work to get that situation addressed through the courts. So again, that's where that protection of being part of a group. So you're not the one guy sitting there just taking it. You can say, no, I'm standing behind my law enforcement group, my ASCOPs representation who can help come up with a plan because every individual officer, you know, in the course of their career might have one or two critical incidents and that would be a lot. Some have none. But what I do is I go to these things on a regular basis. I deal with all of that from actual scene representation, like I said, all the way up through litigation, going to court if I have to. So we're the subject matter experts, right? The Ninth Circuit is not a small deal. That's huge. And obviously you're a litigator. I am. Because you're pretty Gabby. That's good. (laughs) Because you have to be Gabby to be, are you a litigator? We have somebody else in the office here. Are you a litigator? That's awesome. Because that you want somebody who really knows what they're doing to represent you. So what are the benefits of joining as cops besides so, having you? So it's the best legal protection that exists. We also have an outstanding Verizon phone plan and some other perks that you get, things like discount tickets to different places around Arizona. But the biggest thing is that representation controlled by law enforcement officers. So there's no financial incentive for ASCOPs to try to do as little as possible. We have actual people that are out there wearing a badge and gun that are saying, look, this is what we want for the protection of our officers. And we're going to make sure that we can defend those officers that are trying to do their job as absolutely best as possible with no limit in the sense that they control the legal plan. They control what we do. And it's not only those critical incidents, but it's also some of the political issues that happen. And then we do great training and we make sure that our local leaders are empowered to be really successful to represent the individual members. So I know you talk about the Bill of Rights. Explain to the listeners what the Peace Officers Bill of Rights is. Sure. So the Arizona Peace Officers Bill of Rights is a series of laws that was passed by the legislature because what people don't realize is there's times where police officers have less rights than the criminals that they actually arrest. And specifically, if there's, you, everyone's heard, you know, and seen on TV, you have the right to remain silent. Police officers don't have the right to remain silent. If they're involved in an incident, they're going to be under criminal investigation, but then they're also compelled to talk as a condition of their job, something that criminals don't have to do. So the Peace Officers Bill of Rights exists to make sure that it's fair for the officers that are under investigation. And it basically sets forward the ground rules that everyone in the state has to follow. And as cops actually specifically got that legislation amended this year to cover everybody. So here in Tucson, they actually forced, as part of the negotiation, they forced the Tucson group to give up some of the rights under the Peace Officers Bill of Rights. And we said, man, that's not fair. And we had some city officials that tried to do that in some other cities as well. And we said, that that shouldn't be. If you have a state Peace Officers Bill of Rights, which is setting forward some best practices for investigations, you shouldn't have agencies forcing people to negotiate that away, saying, hey, we're going to lower your pay unless you give up your rights. And we said, no, that's not right. So now the Peace Officers Bill of Rights applies to every non-probationary. So if you're a rookie cop then and you're on probation, it doesn't apply Too there. bad. <laughs> yeah. But every non-probationary police officer is going to be covered. And then those investigations are going to be fair and transparent and make sure that we can balance the rights of the officers with the needs of the departments to have good investigations. What about the um, First Amendment issues? 
So this is the thing. There was an old case, and it said that a man has a right to freedom of speech, but if he uses it, he doesn't have the right to be a police officer. So the concept was, if you're going to be a cop, then you no longer have the right to speak on any other issues. And that's just wrong, because I think that public servants that go out there and dedicate their profession to serving the community should still be able to participate in those community debates. So what we did is we have some social media policies around the state that we're basically trying to say, if you give your department a black eye for anything you say on social media, or if you talk about anything that you learn in your job on social media, you could be fired. So basically saying you can't participate and post or comment on things online. And we said, man, that seems wrong because if you're off duty and you want to be able to express your first amendment rights, you should be able to do that. Now there's limits. You can't threaten people. You can't behave in a way that would really undermine your department. Or screw up an investigation. Yeah, you can't. We can't release confidential information. That's that's right too. But we said, look, you should still be able to debate issues online, just like everybody else can, or repost things or comment on those. So, ASCOPs actually supported a lawsuit from a Phoenix police sergeant who was disciplined under Phoenix's social media policy, and we challenged both the policy. And we challenged the discipline that the sergeant had, and we were successful. A published opinion came out in that case earlier this year, and now we're continuing to litigate it, and we're looking forward to a good resolution. Very cool. You're busy. You're a busy person. Okay. What about somebody being terminated? What happens? What do you do? This is the best part about, you talked about the Peace Officers Bill of Rights. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things that the Peace Officers Bill of Rights actually protects. So there are instances where police officers engage in misconduct, and sometimes they need to be fired. Sometimes it's not the right job for them. But what the Peace Officers Bill of Rights does is it says, if you're terminated, you can only be terminated for just cause. So that councilman that doesn't like you and is going to the media and saying, hey, fire Officer Smith, that's not just cause. So just cause is defined in the law. And then if someone is terminated by their agency, they have the right to appeal. Again, doesn't apply to that new cop, the one on probation. But if you've if you've cleared probation, then you have the right to appeal your termination before what should be a neutral hearing officer who should make sure that just cause existed for the discipline. So it's that protection to keep it away from just, I don't like this guy or politically they didn't do the right thing. It's making sure that serious discipline decisions are protected. So if you're terminated and you're an ASCOPS member, then I'm going to be involved hopefully early because this is the other part that we do. Is If you're under investigation for something serious where you think you could face termination, you get to call me even before you do an interview if you want, if you're an ASCOPS member. And then you can say, hey, can I run this by you? What do you think should happen here? How should this investigation go? And I can help walk you through that process. And if it results in termination... I can help represent you through the appeal. So do you do you wrongfully terminated? In other words, okay. What are some of the situations that people can be terminated like before they even have a hearing? Because I've I've seen it and I've heard it especially in the last couple of years. Something happens and okay, they fired him immediately. There was no hearing. There was there is no justice. What do you do? So I've litigated that issue in Arizona, actually. Again, non-probationary. So those those rookies don't count. If you're on probation, then this doesn't apply. But sorry. If, <laughs> <laughs> but if you are off of probation, then there are actual constitutional rights 
that attach to your position. So we call them Loudermill hearings in Arizona. It's the name of a Supreme Court case where you have to have an opportunity to sit with the decision maker and present, or it doesn't have to be in person, it can be in writing, but you have to have the opportunity to present information as to why you should not be terminated. So that's the first part, because I've had that situation before where a chief has said, hey, I'm going to fire this officer. And I say, whoa, chief, hang on. You don't have the full story. And I've actually been successful in those Loudermill hearings to say, here's additional information that you didn't know. This is why you shouldn't move forward with that termination. Now, if you do have that hearing and the chief still decides to move forward with the termination, the Peace Officers Bill of Rights guarantees you that opportunity to present before a hearing officer or a board to show why just cause does or doesn't exist for the termination, saying, hey, man, this is really harsh for what this person did. And then the Civil Service Board or Merit Commission or hearing officer makes a determination as to whether just causes exist. And I've been successful at those hearings as well on a number of occasions saying, look, you got an investigation that has problems or doesn't tell the whole story or there's other mitigating information that needs to be considered. And that state law protects that after the fact and also gives back pay most of the time. So if you've got, you know, the Board of Supervisors or the City Council or the Mayor or anybody else is out front making comments about something that hasn't been thoroughly investigated yet, you might have legal action against them? So it depends. Again, lawyer's favorite answer is it depends. So if it's just somebody talking, but they're not actually disciplined or terminated or they don't lose any income, you may or may not have a case there. But to answer your question about if they're actually terminated and what they said was wrong and the officer can show that, they have an opportunity under the Peace Officers Bill of Rights to go before that hearing officer and say, this is why this statement was wrong. This is why I shouldn't have been terminated. And they're potentially entitled to back pay because of the state protections that ASCOPs help to fight for. So if somebody does something and they want to call you, do you charge them or are you paid through ASCOPs? So ASCOPs takes care of all of that for our members. So there is absolutely no out-of-pocket fees for members to talk to me. Just keep your membership going. Keep your membership going. It's so important for everyone that's in law enforcement to have legal coverage because those instances can happen even if you're trying to do the absolute right thing. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. lives means staying informed. Knowing the dangers of using counterfeit prescription pills can help those you care about and keep our community safe. As a parent, educator, neighbor, or friend, we all play a role in building safe and healthy futures for ourselves and our loved ones. Do your part. Take the first step today. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com to access education, prevention, and treatment resources. Counterfeit prescription pills laced with fentanyl are deadly. Be their protector. Be informed. Visit GetSmartAboutDrugs.com. Daylight is fading and the temperature is dropping. You are not only cold, hungry, and lost in a densely wooded area, you're injured. Time is of the essence. Sarsi is a highly trained team of dedicated volunteers who work closely with Pima County Search and Rescue to help people in critical situations just like this. To join an exclusive team of heroes, go to sarsi.org. That's S-A-R-C-I dot org. We need your knowledge, experience, and of course, your generous spirit. 
To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Hi, this is Sherry. Law Matters opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, we talk with Derek Shavin's attorney. Bill Moorman just filed notice with the Court of Appeals on 14 grounds that this conviction should be overturned, and he will join our conversation. Check out Law Matters' sponsorship page on our new lawmatters1030.org website. Maybe you or a company you know would like to join our mission to keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Steve. He is the attorney for ASCOPS, one of them. One of them. One of the many. And I want to talk about what civilians should understand and know about a crime scene. When an officer's doing their job, what should unaffected civilians be doing? So the biggest thing is to make sure that we give people the opportunity in law enforcement to conduct good criminal investigations. And crime scenes are tough because there's people that are very stressed, emotions are high, and people want information and they want it now. So the most important thing to know about crime scenes, it's just like any type of law enforcement activity, is give the officers the opportunity and the respect to be able to do their job and to protect everyone's rights. So crime scenes can involve the uh, police closing certain areas, saying, hey, you need to back away or you can't be here now because we have either evidence that needs to be preserved or people that need to be talked to. So you need to basically step away and you need to allow us to do what we need to do. So what if uh, you have people who are, and I'm going to bring up the George Floyd case because people were yelling they were getting like on top of the situation they had cameras going what should they have done to not impede that situation so the biggest thing with that situation is you want clear communication so a good police officer or sheriff is going to say hey look i need you to step back because i need to have control of this area or whatever the reason would be for them to need to step back. So if you have good communication from a police officer, basically in order to say, hey, this is an active scene or I need to take this person into custody and I need you to step back, that's what you want from the police. And then if you're a member of the public and you're there, you need to make sure that you're complying with a lawful order. Now, everyone has constitutional rights and the courts have held that, especially if you're in a public location, You have the right to record the police, and good police officers have no concerns about that. What they do have concerns about are if you're trying to obstruct an investigation or if you're creating a safety hazard or if you're somehow interfering with an arrest, that's when the problems happen. And if a police officer tells you to do something and you don't do it, can you be arrested? Yes, a lot of the time you can. Now, the issue is the order needs to be lawful. So the police officer can't tell you to stand on your head or something like that. But if the concept is, is <laughs> Although hey. Although they'd probably like to. <laughs> I know, right? So the concept is a lawful order, but it would be a lawful order to say, hey, this is an active crime scene. I need you to back away for your safety, for my safety, and for the safety of other people here. That would be an example, depending on the circumstances, of a lawful order. And you would need to comply. And if not, you could be arrested if you're actually 
truly interfering or not obeying that lawful order. And you don't want the person to be in a dangerous situation. They could get hurt, too. So Correct. you want them to back away, back off. Right. Say it like that. Right. I mean it, right? Okay. I know the uh, ASCOPs have professional lobbyists. We do. And you're the only organization that have a group of people that lobby f- only for law enforcement, Right. That is our that is our primary focus for our lobbyists is lobbying exclusively for law enforcement. Now that said, we obviously want to build bridges, so we do work with community partners to make sure that everyone's interest is moving forward. But as cops has tri advocates, we brought them on, and they have been phenomenal in helping us connect with the legislature and connect with the decision makers on the city side too to actually have good improvements in state law and professionals who know how to write the law so that it's easy for people to understand and not some of these convoluted things that they'll put on your voting ballot so (laughs) here's (laughs) the definition we're not responsible for that (laughs) say that again okay i know you're the only organization that has lobbyists the other organizations don't right uh, it depends on how you define a lobbyist. Okay. Right? That's the, the we what we do have is we have what I would say are professionals that are dedicated exclusively to doing what we ask them to do for when they're working for us. So we don't use like anybody off the street or just hey I'm a police officer and I kind of want to talk to the legislature. We have an organization that's done a really good job for us. Okay, so compare your organization as cops to some of the others that are out there. What makes you different? Well, what is different about us is, again, this focus on Arizona specifically for what we do and the leadership of how our cases are brought forward, how our legislation is brought forward is determined by those men and women that are actually doing the job. That's our leadership. That's our primary focus. My bosses, if you will, Mm -hmm. are the people that I could represent on any given day because they're actually out there enforcing the laws and they know that. So it's not determined by a law firm who's already collected dues and, you know, is is potentially motivated to do as little as possible. Our finance committee is dedicated to making sure that we're advancing the interests of law enforcement in every single case that we have. And they work strategically on all different levels from legislation to then moving forward for representation to say, hey, is our primary focus the Arizona men and women that are out there trying to do their best to enforce the law? Okay, I know that the um, something didn't happen with the people being able to film eight feet away, anybody doing their job. What happened with that? Why was it defeated? So that law was passed and it was signed by the governor. That was not a law that as cops advanced. We weren't opposed to it either, but that wasn't one of our pieces of legislation. And the concern is, is essentially if a law is overbroad, meaning that it can, it can impede somebody's constitutional rights, you could have a problem that exists at that point. What you can do is you can have someone who could constitutionally be eight foot, eight feet away and filming and, That's their First Amendment right to do that because the Supreme Court has said you have the right to do that. But this law would then stop what would otherwise be a constitutional provision. And in that case, even though the law was passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, after it was challenged in federal court, no one defended the law. So the attorney general of Arizona decided not to defend that law and the legislature didn't define that law. So it was 
enjoined or stopped from going into effect by the district court. Is it because of the way it was written or, you know, because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, you're in a situation that could be dangerous. You want people to step away. Every camera has a zoom on it. You don't need to be on top of the scene, you know, acting like you're a part of it. Like I keep saying the George Floyd thing because they were like right there. Sure. And I felt like you're impeding what's going on. And if you want to film, use your Zoom and and stay out of harm's way. So, Sherry, you make a great point about being too close or staying out of harm's way. And the point is, is that you can't do that if you have a camera in your hand or not. So the actual most important thing is don't impede a law enforcement investigation and you have to obey lawful orders. And that doesn't matter if you're filming or not filming. If you're too close or you're interfering with a scene then you're too close if you have a camera or if you don't. So we already do have some of those laws that we talked about, about um, if you're impeding an investigation or if you're not obeying a lawful order, you can already be arrested for that if, if the facts support that. So that's where don't despair. Police officers have other tools in their toolbox. And although obviously I personally appreciate what the legislature was trying to do with the eight foot rule, there are some constitutional concerns, which is why the federal district court enjoined the law. Said, forget it. Yep. Okay. We have other tools in the toolbox. So let's talk about whistleblowers. Sure. Do they go to you first? Do they, how does a whistleblower, what's the chain of command? So a whistleblower can, you know, not be an Edward Snowden, not go you know, public with something that could be handled internally. What is the chain of command? So whistleblower is one of those topics that I get asked about quite a bit. I actually have a video on my YouTube channel if you want to check oh, that out. Tell people how to get to your YouTube channel. Sure. If you go to YouTube.com and then it's slash at AZ Police Lawyer, that will bring you right to my channel. But to summarize, for those of you who haven't seen the video yet, although many of you hopefully will now, to summarize, what you need to do is you need to follow very specific, very difficult, very stringent requirements in order to be protected as a whistleblower. So for our ASCOPS members, what we recommend is don't try it alone. You're going to hear that a lot, and that's kind of a theme of mine for representation is don't go at it alone. So what you want to do if you have information of that will qualify under the Arizona whistleblower statute Talk to your local organization because then you're not David versus Goliath. And then talk to us. Reach out to ASCOPS. They will get you good representation who's experienced with these kind of issues and make sure that you're protected as much as possible. That's the best way to do it if you have that kind of information because Arizona whistleblower protections are not as broad as people think and they're very specific, almost procedural. You got to follow step by step by step. And if you miss one step, you're out of luck. So... If you're trying to fix a situation, you go to your immediate supervisor first and then up the chain of command. So it depends on the situation. Sometimes that's a really good idea. But if you feel like you can't go to your immediate supervisor and you need to be a whistleblower. Yeah. Well, then what you can do, though, and this is the nice part about being a member of an organization like ASCOPS is you go, man, I don't know if I trust my boss. I don't know if I trust my chief. Who can I talk to? Well, you can talk to us. And very often they'll give you a privileged conversation with an attorney like me who can advise you to say, hey, this is what needs to happen. This is how you could be protected going forward with this information, even if you don't trust your chain of command. So document, document, document. Call a lawyer. Call Call for help. (laughs) Don't guess. (laughs) 
Give them your cell phone. <laughs> hey. uh, call Ascos. I gave them that phone number. If they need it again, 888-622-2215. Call that number. <laughs> call that number. Yeah, he's going to Fiji, wasn't <laughs> Okay, what if you feel like um, your department is spending money frivolously? Sure. And people are, their raises are being ignored, but, you know, maybe the chief or the sheriff or whoever it is has a new sports car. Sure. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're getting a raise. How do you how do you fight that? The best way to fight that is to have good information go out in a way that you are protected. So again, don't go at it alone, number one. Number two, if you have those situations where something's going wrong in a department and you man you think, man, I wish that city council knew or the decision makers knew or the public knew, you as a individual person are not protected necessarily bringing that information forward. Now your organization, if you have a local organization, and if there's a theme of today, it's have an organization that can represent you to bring that forward. Because then when they do bring concerns forward, they can actually be protected and we can advise you on ways to bring concerns like that forward so that you're not, again, David versus Goliath, the little guy trying to fight the big machine you're somebody that can say, look, this concern can be dealt with in a way that makes sense, protects our interests, and protects the public and the taxpayers to say, man, they'd want to know about the chief sports car. <laughs> I don't want to be the one to bring it up because I don't want to be working graves for the rest of my life, but here's how I can bring it up and be protected. Yeah, like the Board of Supervisors. They're, you know, paying people that aren't even on the board anymore. You know, that's it was like, what? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is you have to make sure that if you have that information that it's protected. So, for example, misuse of public funds can be protected under Arizona's whistleblower law, but if you screw that up and you don't take every step necessary to follow that law correctly, you can be In out trouble. of luck. Yeah. In deep doo-doo. Which is exactly why we want to talk to you first. We want to be the ones to say, hey, here's some things for what you need to know. Here's the form and format for how to be protected. And here's what we can do to protect your interests going forward if you're trying to get that information out. So there are steps to take. So it's not a lost cause. There are steps you can take. Right. But do it with guidance. Absolutely. Because if you miss a step, you could be screwed. Well, and here's the thing, Sherry. I, I've done what I've done for a long time, but I don't act alone. So if I have an issue that involves law enforcement or tactics or internal investigations, I partner up with those same local leaders. I'm the ones that say, how does this work in your department? Or what do I need to know about this circumstance to make sure that I understand it? Because anybody acting alone is not acting on all the information. You want to make sure that you're working as part of a team. And this is another benefit of working with ASCOPs. Those same people that decide what cases go forward are sounding boards. If I have a question about how does this work in law enforcement or how have you seen this be successful in the past, there's hundreds of years of institutional experience as part of the organization that I work with that can help me draw on that to get the best result possible for our members. So what does it cost to join ASCOPs? It depends on your agency. So basically what happens is you join a local agency and you have a local group and then part of those dues go to ASCOPs as uh, basically part of your coverage. So the amount for each member really just depends. Um, it depends on where you work. And so some organizations have essentially more staff locally. So, for example, the Phoenix Police Sergeants and Lieutenants Association has two full-time release people, and they offer 
different things than, let's say, the Oro Valley Police Department. So each local group can basically decide how they're going to set their dues, and then they pass on a portion of that to ASCOPs. Well, that's interesting. You would think it would be like set in stone. It's, you know, $100 a year or whatever, and not, you know, okay, you pay 50 you pay 40 you pay 100 That's weird. I'm the lawyer guy, not the finance guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's just strange. So do you know what it costs here in, in Tucson? I don't. Don't? I don't even know who the reps are. Do I don't you? know, but I know if you call that number, 888-622-2215, will get you all that information. <laughs> and tell people how to get to your YouTube thing again, because you put sure. out videos to help people understand different situations. I do. I put out videos based off of experiences that I've had or based off of questions that officers have brought to me. And my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash at AZ Police Lawyer. At AZ Police Lawyer. Correct. And Steve's face will pop up. It will. Hundreds of videos at this point. Really? Yeah. I'm like, give me some topics. So everything from the Peace Officers Bill of Rights that we talked about, as posts requirements, LEOSA is a really popular topic. What's that? That's the law that's passed that allows police officers to carry concealed all across the nation, despite oh. what uh, the local law might be. Even if they get on an airplane? You can't bring it. Well, you can bring it on an airplane and check luggage. So if you're flying to California or Chicago, you have to check your gun. You can't bring it loaded on the airplane. But once you get there even if you would potentially be prohibited from possessing, and that law is changing too, based off of the Supreme Court. But it basically says if you're an Arizona police officer and you're going to California, you can still bring your gun most places. And if you have more than 10 years on as a law enforcement officer and you honorably retire, then you have the same protection. So that's another topic that's there. First Amendment topics are there. You can carry if you're retired while you travel cross-country. You can if you follow the requirements of LEOSA. So okay, LEOSA. For all the details, check out the video when it comes to that. <laughs> and don't ask me what the acronym stands for. But I was going to. You knew. You saw me. I was thinking that. What does that mean? I could think of it. I could probably figure it out. <laughs> but uh, Okay. What other topics do you cover? Because that's, that's a huge resource for people. It is. So the videos come out every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. So I'm always looking for topics. So I think last week's video was about First Amendment auditors. So okay. this is the civilians that are going up and filming people. And then um, before that was Pennsylvania versus MIMS, which was a Supreme Court case that talked about the fact that if you're pulled over by the police and the police ask you to get out of the car, you have to get out of the car. And uh, why don't people, I never understood why people would please pull you over and they argue with them. Sure. No, I'm not going to give you my ID. Right. No, I'm not getting out of the car. Right. No, no, no. And then a fight ensues. Right. And then everybody's in trouble. It's it's crazy. Hey, there's people that say, I'm a sovereign citizen and I don't respect your authority or understand it. Oh, by the way, I thought of it. LEOSA stands for the Law Enforcement Officers Safety Act. And that was passed by Congress. So that's cool. basically allows police officers to be safe where they go and to make sure that they can protect themselves and protect their families. And it's a important one for officers to know. And then it's also important for people to know if they have more than 10 years and you follow the requirements of LEOSA, which also includes like an annual qual. So you have to go back to your agency and shoot to make sure that 
You know how to work the gun. Look, and you still know how to work this, it, right? Uh, this part goes away from the body. Right, yeah. exactly. Point it in the right direction. Yeah. And and you get a documentation from your former agency or your current agency that you carry with you to say, yeah, I'm honorably retired, so therefore I qualify under LEOSA. Very cool. Okay, we only have a few minutes left. What happens if an officer goes to jail? Do they have any rights once they're in jail, or are they just thrown in with everybody? Well, almost every jail or prison system will segregate or separate the police officers from the general population because it's an obvious safety issue if I'm in a secured facility and my roommate is somebody that I arrested. Or they know that or they <laughs> That's know that, tacky. Yeah, or they know what I did. So um unfortunately it happens occasionally, but when that does happen, obviously they need to call a lawyer well before hopefully they're there. And then the lawyer can also make sure that the officer is safe or as safe as they can be. Now, are you a lawyer that they would call if they were a member of ASCOPS? I am. I'm one of them. So I've been to secured facilities before without getting into specifics. And they didn't keep you? Oh, no, I wasn't there for that. (laughs) Well, okay. So I was just wondering if, you know, once a person is a member of ASCOPS and they keep their dues going... They're in jail. Can they keep their dues going? <laughs> I mean, they need to. So obviously every legal coverage is based off of your on-duty actions. So if if what put you in jail was something that you did on duty, that's absolutely covered under the legal plan. Now intentional crimes, if you're, you know. If you're just a bad guy. If you're a bad guy, you're stealing money intentionally or things like that, then that's obviously outside the scope of your law enforcement duties. So you might not be covered then. Yeah, what would what else would keep a person from being covered by ASCOPS other than, you know, doing something well, intentionally well, unlawful? We can flip it on its head. Anything that they're doing in good faith as part of their law enforcement duties are covered. And if you have something off duty, if you're running a, you know, gambling ring in your off time, <laughs> it's not going to be something that I'm covering. Okay. <laughs> but if it's on-duty activity or you're doing something as a police officer or even intervening in some type of incident, then we cover you for that. Okay. Tell people how to get a hold of ASCOPS again. Everybody should be, you have to be law enforcement to be a member of ASCOPS. You have to be part of a police department. So we do have... Can you donate to ASCOPS? You can. You can go to the website, www.ascops.org. And you can donate there, or if you want more information on donations, it's the same number to get to the office. It's 888-622-2215. And if you have a representative in your local area, call them up or her up and get some information. Find out what you should be doing. Absolutely. And we have dozens and dozens of local organizations, so we'd be happy to talk to you. Dozens, you know, that's a whole nother show. Look what you did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for being here. And until next week, shop local and stay safe.
this is Sherry. Law Matters opens the lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, we talk with Derek Shavin's attorney. Bill Moorman just filed notice with the Court of Appeals on 14 grounds that this conviction should be overturned, and he will join our conversation. Check out Law Matters sponsorship page on our new lawmatters1030.org website. Maybe you or a company you know would like to join our mission to keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.